Morning. It is Easter. And so I think one of the best ways to celebrate Easter is to talk about Star Wars. I remember as a child my father taking me to a drive-in theater. For all of you who are under 40, a drive-in theater is where you go in your car, they hung a little speaker on the side of the window, people would come to you with food, and you watch the movie uh, either through the radio of your car when it got a little bit more fancy, but the one that I went to with my dad, it was this tiny little speaker, and about every third post didn't have one because someone forgot to take it off and drove away with the speaker and ripped it right out of the post. I was seven or eight years old. I slept through the first movie, which was Urban Cowboy with John Travolta, an utterly forgettable movie. No offense, Mr. Travolta. And then my dad wakes me up, and he says, he said, you want to be awake for this? And all of a sudden, that music came on, and the Star Wars theme burst onto the screen, and the scrolling credits rolled past, and to this day... When that theme music kicks on, I get a a shiver down my spine. I'm a seven-year-old boy right up at the dash of my dad's car watching this movie. And that's like Easter. You want to be awake for this one. You want to be the seven-year-old boy or seven-year-old girl right up at the dash of your father's car paying attention to what's happening because the theme music of Star Wars ain't got nothing on what Jesus did that day. And then I remember a couple of years later, I remember watching The Empire Strikes Back, oh, best of the six, or best of the nine in my opinion. I'll fight you, Todd. And I remember watching the movie, I remember Han Solo being told by Princess Leah, I love you, and Han Solo responding, I know. And every once in a while I do that to Karen and then she punches me in the shoulder. And I remember the moment when Luke says in pain, his hand cut off, you killed my father and Darth Vader said those amazing words, Luke, I am your father. And it was, what? Easter is filled with surprises that blow away any surprise that Star Wars could give us. God reached down and completely upended our entire idea of reality. You see, Jesus paid the price that day. Death is dead. Do you get that? But the surprises just keep coming. We pick up the story in Mark where he writes, This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. 
Joseph brought, bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. Make no mistake, this is a remarkable moment of disruption. We're at the end of three years of building hope towards a better future. We're at the end of a time, and all of a sudden, the current situation must have seemed utterly desperate. Not only was Rome not removed, but Israel remains under their, under their boots. They're not emancipated as they dreamed would happen. Rome won. And to make it even worse, Israel's leaders colluded in that victory. Can you imagine how it must have felt? Can you imagine the fear they were experiencing, the, set, the, the sense of dread and loss? Can you imagine their surprise? Are we next? You think about a story like Star Wars where Luke is sitting there and he hears this news that the, the enemy, the one they absolutely hate, turns out to be his dad. And that's fake. That's imaginary. This is real. The one they believed in, the one they felt was going to change everything is dead. Pilate is surprised. You see, the cross was for dominance. And they did everything they could to keep people alive. And sometimes they would last for days. Eventually dying of asphyxiation, blood loss, or just simply bleeding out. Jesus stopped cooperating with Rome that day. You see, the surprising behavior that we get from the religious leaders continues. Jesus gave up his spirit, and Jesus says, it is finished. Three of the most amazing words ever spoken. It is finished. But you see, for the Pharisees and the leaders, it wasn't finished. We hear in Matthew 27 that on the Sabbath, a little tiny word and phrase, you may have missed it, but on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees collude with the enemy of God to try to continue to disrupt what Jesus was doing. On the Sabbath, they violated God's law to go talk to Pilate to have the body guarded. Because they were still afraid. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know which way it was going to go. And yet, they continue in this moment of disruption. The dread continues. Now, I want you to imagine you've never heard this story before. I want you to imagine you get to this part of the book. It's holding your attention. You're drinking chamomile tea on a cold day. You can't put the book down. It's bedtime, but you keep reading. The clock keeps ticking, and you can't go further. You're riveted. 
They just killed off the main character. No wonder Oprah recommended this book. Think about it if you've never heard this story before. And then the narrative surprises us again. On Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, and had already been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the the right side, and the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid the body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Sabbath ends, and in contrast to the religious leaders, these women wait. And then they go and they purchase spices in the market. Now, if you've ever been to a market that's kind of waking up after the evening... This would have been a bustle of activity. They would have been roaming through the streets. They would have been picking up these spices. And I suspect they probably were very afraid. This was fresh news. And then at sunrise, they head out early because they're committed to preparing Christ's body. The light is breaking as they head towards the tomb. But you see, the light is breaking on God's work. And the women have no sense of wonder. They're still in mourning. They still expect Jesus to be dead. They have practical concerns. Who's going to roll away the big rock? But they are acting out of love for Jesus. But they have no prophetic imagination. They arrive at the tomb. They see the stone is rolled away. And their primary obstacle is removed. But it didn't need to be. You see, on entry to the tomb, they see this young man, an angel. And of course, their natural response would be to be afraid. And then they're told to calm. It's okay. But I imagine if I saw an angel and he told me to be okay, I probably wouldn't immediately be okay. But the women had solely human concerns on their mind. They're still not expecting a resurrection. But the crucified one is being raised, and he is not here. Open your eyes and see. You see, Mark is calling us this morning to open our eyes and see. And so the young man sends, tells them to send a very specific message. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus never rejects the disciples, even though they've rejected him. Even Peter. It's a strong message of forgiveness, of inclusion, of redemption, of restoration. It's a story of him starting all over again. And so he sends them to Galilee. And he says, this is where it all started. I want you to go back to the beginning. You see, in many ways, this is going to be a do-over. 
because they missed what Jesus was doing. They missed what Jesus was doing for three full years, and they were missing it all over again. You see, Mark's ending is a little different than the other Gospels. If you look at your Bible, you might see short ending or long ending. If you're reading the King James Version, it just continues on. But the truth is, Mark probably ended at verse 8. And later on, they added these extra words to kind of soften it. But almost without exception, scholars believe that Mark ended this story with the following words. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Why would he do that? You see, we've heard the story before. We're not like the ones reading the Oprah Book Club, never seen it before, riveted by the fact they just killed off the main character, and oh my gosh, he's not dead? And Mark takes this expectation that we have, the lovely story, the John version that we heard Kevin and Stephanie read earlier, and he says, pay attention because something else is happening. Don't miss. Don't miss what Jesus is doing. You see, in Matthew, the women run and tell the disciple, and Jesus meets them on the way. In Luke, the women go and tell the disciple, and John and Peter run to the tomb, and we get the story of the Emmaus walk. In John, as we just heard, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. There's no angel at first. Then two later, John and Peter run to the tomb. We get this lovely little uh, inside scoop that John got there first. He's bragging. And then multiple sightings of Jesus, starting with Mary. But Mark... When the original readers heard this story, they just had marks having the women simply backing out in terror, fleeing, and done. And they didn't tell anybody. You see, they flee because they were afraid. And Mark is using the same verb that he used to define Describe the disciples fleeing from Jesus. It's fear and unbelief. The women were with Jesus at the beginning. They were at the crucifixion watching from a distance. And now they were beginning to behave like the disciples by running away. And it's precisely the wrong response. You see, the disciples had abandoned Jesus. A dynamic drift of desertion had really overtaken them one by one. They had originally been with Jesus and had left everything to follow him. They committed themselves right up to death. And yet when it all fell apart, they fled. And we see in Mark's portrayal that the women watching from a distance, there's this hint that the same dynamic is beginning to work on them. And then when they go to attend Jesus... They get afraid from this conversation with this young man, and then it prompts them to do the very same thing. You see, we're familiar with the other versions, and so Mark's ending feels subversive. Everything unfolds according to expectations until verse 8. Luke, I am your father. Pay attention, Mark is saying. You see, they fled because they were afraid. The end, that's it. 
And that's no kind of ending from our perspective. We want to see it resolved. So much so that later on, other people took the stories from the other Gospels and forced them into Mark's narrative. And we're not quite sure what to do with them right now. We're a little uncomfortable with this. And so some of them put them with this little bracket. Some of them put them down in the footnote. Or if you were the King James, if you were King James, you'd put it in there and you went, na, 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 na. Because we want to have the narrative complete. You see, rather than providing a conclusion to relieve the tension and to bring about resolution, Mark is far more interested in provoking us. He wants to turn us back to reflect on the narrative. You see, throughout Mark's gospel, the audience is challenged to probe. Look closely into the character of Jesus, the nature of his kingdom, the one that he is inaugurating, and he wants us to understand He wants us to see the specific failures of the disciples again and again and again. Mark is strongly negative about those who follow Jesus. You see, the disciples were called, appointed, and privileged, and they had access to Jesus. But they became the ones who saw but did not receive, heard but did not understand. They missed what Jesus was doing. But the outsiders heard. The Roman centurion at the cross who said, surely this was the Son of God. Joseph of Arimathea, who risked his life to out himself as a follower of Jesus by going right to Pilate and asking for the body. When his colleagues were skulking around on the Sabbath to try and prevent it. Simon of Cyrene, who was compelled to carry Jesus' cross, but is known to the disciples in this story, which means he probably had a life-changing experience, and his children are known to followers of Christ. You see, they, they see Jesus. They hear Jesus. And they respond to Jesus. See, even hearing the words of Christ about his suffering and death, the disciples reject and rebuke rather than respond and embrace. And Mark is asking his listeners, are you like the disciples? See, what are we missing? Do we know him? Do we attend to his words and to his life? See, Jesus is talking through Mark to me and to you. And it's a gospel of failure. But it's also a gospel of unrelenting grace, forgiveness, and acceptance in Christ. Who takes the brokenness that we are, the mistakes that we make, the br- the, just the brutal way we treat our, ourselves, one another, and the Lord. And he says, I love you. Go to Galilee. We're going to start all over again. And this is the nature of odd endings in books or movies. It drives us back into the story. We can't just walk away. And so Mark is driving us back to the narrative for us to see something. And I think there's six things that he's asking us to pay attention to this morning. The first is our imaginations, like the women, are still limited by our present age. I hear this all the time. I have experienced this in my own life. 
I lose a job, I get sick, the COVID pandemic still continues, and I'm seeing it through today's lens, and I'm not looking at it from telos. I'm not looking at it from the end story. I'm not looking at it from Sunday. I'm still stuck in Friday. And Mark is saying, can you imagine something different? And if you can, how is that going to impact your life? He's saying it is possible to follow Jesus for a long time and still be mired down in misunderstanding. If the, if the disciples walking with Jesus for three years missed what he was doing, how likely is it that we're missing what he's doing with all of the distance that we experience? Mark is saying, check twice. Look at your life. Where are you missing Jesus? Because without fail, I know I am. I suspect all of us in some ways really don't truly understand what he's trying to do. And I see this in the, in the fights between different sects of religion. I see this in the, in the disagreements we have in churches. I remember when I was doing ministry to men who were addicted... And the the board of our church had just put in new carpet. And we couldn't bring coffee in because they were worried about stains. And my guys couldn't sit still. They needed coffee in order to be able to manage the entire service. I had to fight the board to get permission to have coffee for these guys in the service. And the first time it happened, I got a bunch of people talking to me and saying, that's against the rules. Really? Yes, you hired a pastor that breaks the rules for people. Whoops. Where are we missing what Jesus is doing? You see, Jesus is calling us back to where it all started. A new beginning. And this is the loveliest thing. I think the most incredible words spoken were, it is finished. But there's another phrase that Jesus has uttered, which is equally, equally compelling. You are forgiven. And he says that to us again and again and again. And so often we can get lost in our own brokenness. We can feel mired down by all the things that we are having. And Jen, stop texting me. I'm kidding. I have this little pop-up on my screen. And on Friday, all the texts were popping up in front of what I was trying to read. And Jen is teasing me today. But she gets outed. Todd was doing it to me on Friday. I love my team. Where are we? I'm going to edit this out in the final version, so don't worry. We get the chance to start again and again and again. But here's what I want for my life. I don't want to have to start again and again and again. I want to be so close to Jesus that I actually start hearing him, that I actually start responding to him, that I actually start getting him, and I actually start not needing to be forgiven. That's that's the dream. Mark wants us to see that God has already acted to bring about cosmic victory. Todd, (laughs) he just put it in front of the notes again. I really got to turn on the uh, no notification thing. Thanks for reminding me. This is an Easter service. We're supposed to be somber. Good job this is a community church and not a First Baptist church. See, God has already won. 
And I think when we see the, the reality of our world, we can easily forget that. I want to live and do ministry as a child of the victor. Not afraid because it's already been dealt with. And really we're only in the mop-up phase. There's still damage being done. There's still people being lost. We still are in the fight for their lives. But we don't have to do it in fear. Because we... (laughs) Kevin... This had such potential of being a good sermon. (laughs) But God has won already, guys. Point number five. We too are at risk of watching from a distance and fleeing. I think this is a real risk right now with COVID. We can't all be together and it's easy to start to drift away. I really, really want to once again encourage you, connect into small groups. Reach out to one another to say how you're doing. Pray together. Love each other. And grip on to the community of Christ. Because together we're stronger. Together we can move through this life. Because sometimes we get overwhelmed. But you see, God is not... And he wants us to hear that today. And the final point I think that Mark is trying to make to us this morning is that the enemy is still trying to disrupt things. Satan wants you to forget this. Satan doesn't want you to know this. Satan wants you to be afraid, to be preoccupied, to be engaged in all the things that would steal you from the joy and peace and love of Christ. Mark is calling our attention to a battle that's being waged around us, but it's not one of flesh and blood. And this is the wonderful thing. And I'll finish with this. We do not have to fear. We do not have to go through life worrying about anything. And do you know why? Because it is finished. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, we pray that you would instill in us beating hearts of Christ. Lord, I thank you for this community and the way we can laugh together and tease one another and encourage one another on to good works in Christ. And Father, as we celebrate the the gift of your resurrected Son, the day death died. Lord, help us to never forget this. Lord, you still surprise us. May we be attentive to what you're doing today. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.